everybody. This is Jared Carp, the founder and chairman of CSAE and the host of the podcast show. And if you have tuned in before, you know that I have been interviewing a series of amazing leaders and practitioners in the cybersecurity space, specifically cybersecurity as it pertains to control systems, you know, whether those be in oil and gas or electric or manufacturing or many verticals, building control systems, medical devices, the pumps, the, the networks that have pumps and valves and actuators, cyber to physical parts, networks that are fundamentally different. They're staffed differently. They have a very different technical refresh rate than traditional IT networks. And I have another great guest today. He is, uh, first of all, a father and a husband, and I, I like to count him as a friend. He is a cyclist, an avid cyclist. He is a master ski racer. He is definitely an engineer. He is uh, pretty handy around the house, and he is an enthusiast, and that applies to many different things. I'm excited to invite uh, Rob Gary. He is currently the Executive Chief Engineer and VP of Product Security of GE Power. Thank you for coming on the show, Rob. I'm glad to be here, Derek. And, and, and again, thank you for the opportunity. I'm passionate about talking about controls, how cyber plays into it, and really the emerging role in the industry. Well, I know you are passionate. We've had many discussions since we met uh, years ago in, uh, oh gosh. Sundance, Sundance Idaho. Sundance, yeah. Idaho. Yeah. Robert Redford's you know, retreat. Uh, he wasn't there. We weren't hanging out with him. But I remember you and I, and I remember sort of the room, that very, very cool, funky bar and having an old-fashioned, uh, or not old-fashioned, uh, Moscow Mule. Moscow Mule. Yeah. Those were, that's when they were introduced to my diet, was that well, night. Right. I forgot you told me that. And, and, and later you said, yeah, I really like these. I've had some more. <laughs> um, <laughs> if you remember, the cup was like a stainless steel cup, and it had like a heavy rope wrapped around it. Yeah, yeah. And I think that's the key, right? Is it's not just the drink, but the artifact that you're drinking out of to make it to make yeah. it perfect. And then the right lighting and the ambiance and you know magic happens. <clears throat> well, uh, there's a lot uh, for us to try to unpack. And as these interviews often go, there's you know too many threads. We can't pull them all, but I, I sort of start them in the you know in the same way, uh, which is go you know go all the way back to your origin story. I, you know, I like to joke that cybersecurity people are modern day superheroes and all <laughs> super have a backstory so uh you know where you know where did rob gary uh, get invented you know i was thinking about this in the car and uh i think it's important i grew up in rural farm country south of albany new york and you know there's a lot of things as you said you can pack into that but i was always working on stuff um not as an engineer you know i learned the difference between a hammer and a welder when fixing a problem on a tractor my grandfather had farming background although he'd retired had a garage full of tools to use. You know, I like to say play with, but in today's safety environment, I was using them. And uh, my dad had a um, residential plumbing and wiring business. So I was always out doing stuff, and not just with my hands, but I was working on the beginnings of industrial things. Yeah, that's an interesting sort of uh, formative uh, years. And I always am curious about that. I've asked every guest around that and sort of where engineering or technology you know, intersect with someone's with someone's life. Sometimes it's much later for people, and other times it's you know practically out of the out of the womb. So you're certainly working there in the physical world with physical objects, operating technology in a way. I mean, farm equipment and 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 power tools and things like that, uh, not necessarily connected or networked. It's interesting that that's part of your you know your story. Do you recall when you know technology or or you know sort of traditional engineering uh, you know peak an interest for you, or is that off uh, when you go off to school? Um, no, I was I was always interested in the electrical physical really, and it was a it was a big decision whether I went mechanical or electrical engineering before anybody just told me that it didn't really matter the first two years anyway. And uh, I've always I've always 
gravitated toward electrical. And I had a professor once that said that somebody that makes mechanical mechanical analogies for electrical problems doesn't understand electrical engineering. But you know, I contend I contend that isn't always true because you know what I've done through my career is develop and work on control systems for heavy duty gas, steam, and wind turbines for power generation. And that's that's the that's the connection of electrical mechanical. Yeah, so you went the uh, the electrical route. You know, I'm also curious. So prior to uh, going to college, did you do any any kind of work? And was it work of your dad's business or anything like that? Um, no, I you know I always supported my dad on weekends and yeah. stuff for for years afterward until I moved away. Right out of college, I went to work for a small company called Hypotronics, and we built high voltage test equipment. You know, a million volts at, at milliamps to test insulators, test devices, um, had some big contracts with Con Edison in New York City for underground cable testing. And uh, again, that was that's the nexus of electromechanical. High voltage is both, right? It's separation distances, it's structural integrity, it's getting all the air bubbles out of a transformer before you put the electricity into it. So it's almost electrical engineering 101, you know, deeper understandings of the, of the physical when you build the equipment. In the end, it's diodes, diodes, wires, and capacitors. Now, didn't you skip a, a very significant role, and you had the term uh, chief engineer in your title even back then at a at a radio station? Oh yeah, yeah. I was uh, I was um, the chief engineer, which I am today, of uh, WRUC. That's my college radio station, and then I was the general manager my last my last two years. So yeah, that's a good one, Derek. I, and thought about that, but you know, there, there's your arc, right? Chief engineer uh, again. You know, a few years later. Um, yeah, I've, I've actually was a general manager at GE for eight years too before this role. So, <laughs> so yeah, I, you know, GE is obviously something we're going to talk about. You know, I have guests on the show that have three or four years at one place and three or four years at a different and in government and then out of government. And your journey is going to be—it's a bit of a different story. It's a lot of interesting and different things. But at GE, you've been. You've been at GE, what, by my calculation, 30, 31 years? Yeah, 30 plus, 30 plus plus, yep. So uh, you've got that first job you mentioned, um, you know, with the test equipment. Uh, what's the leap to uh, to GE? I worked at GE. I went to Union College, which is right down the road in Skanktik, New York, from the, the secondary birthplace of Thomas Edison's GE. And it was just, it was in our, it was all around us, right? So I had taken that company, that job at Hypertronics, and it was a wonderful experience, but it was a small company. And I won't call it career progression, but I'll call it technology progression. The map for the next 30 years was visible in the first six months, right? You'll do this, then you'll do this, then you'll do this, right? I had an opportunity to maintain some connections to GE to travel more, service equipment more, and... Uh, and joined the field engineering program for power generation equipment. And it was a great opportunity that uh, and I was probably, a, you know, I wasn't married, didn't have children, there was nobody to consult. It was probably a 15 minute decision if I remember. Yeah, no, make, make, makes sense. And, you know, I was sort of looking at your, at some of your history and, and I see things like just sort of, you know, obviously all a GE, requisition leader, GM controls and power electronics, GM Energy Controls Technology, GM Control Systems Engineering, Executive Chief Engineer Controls of Product Cyber, VP of Product Cybersecurity, VP of Product Cybersecurity for GE Power. Uh, the first one was VE Pro Product Cybersecurity for GE Digital. You know, it, 
that's an interesting journey and, and security merges in there. So clearly it's engineering. It's very, very early all about controls. That's very informative to where you are today. And I am curious and we'll jump to where cybersecurity intersects. It's certainly not way back then, I don't think, but that's a, that's your background, right? Controls. And so you added or you're layering in cybersecurity because people are always asking where do where do cybersecurity leaders and practitioners, you know, the people that are sort of, uh, you know, prominent in our industry, where do they come from? Are they engineers? Are they IT people that, you know, that learn about uh, about OT? Uh, obviously, there is a mix of both. And you're coming from the engineers and controls background and then cybersecurity gets added to it at some point. Yeah, it, it, it's a it's a fun to me. It's a fun story. I'll, I'll try to make it kind of concise for our audience here. But, you know, I've, I've been all things controls. I've always been known as controls. And, and like you listed off the titles, but is it platform development of an industrial controller? Is it application to control field terror ratios and heavy duty equipment? Is it speed sensors for safety critical systems? Is it working with customers? But the, the key I'm in a turbine business. I'm not in a controls business. And you have to accept that, you know, and you go between being an accessory and a critical technology. And it's it's been a fun journey. So anyway, I was I was leading a large team um, that had a lot of platform responsibility. My leader, who was, you know, a senior officer in the company and a, me a member of the um, executive council in the company, came back from a meeting, like a, a very high level leadership meeting at GE. And I had a meeting to go see him, right? And uh, it, it, they weren't informal sessions. I, I didn't hang out in his office and drink beer, you know. I went in his office and he had a stack of slides. And he said, and it was it was right around the time that OT product security was emerging. The automobile companies were starting to talk about it. Um, it, it was just starting to be talked about. And he had a stack of slides. Remember, this is a genius on gas turbine heat transfer mechanical design. I was the only person, you know, I was a person he trusted with, with things that weren't mechanical. And he laid the stack of slides down and he said, this is coming and it's coming big. And the slides were about the need for OT, then we called them, not the shop floor, but the products we ship, cyber engineer. And he said, why don't you look through these and let me know what you think. And uh, I then, you know, as, as we do, I went and talked to my HR manager and uh, she said, well, it's already been determined what you think. It's a question of how you go back and answer. And I said, this is awesome. You know, and that, that was really my, my bridge to it. You know, the, the cyber part in the early days was the, you know, the language and the terminology, but I, I was very versed in the, the technology of the control system. It was a question of learning these, learning these other segments and, you know, how, how you approach, how you approach it, right? Is an onion layer before that information technology? I'm assuming some years before that, because all these control systems, long before cybersecurity was an issue, there certainly was. There were networking. It might not have been internet protocol. It might have been, you know, industrial protocols. But there was they were being networked. They were being connected, going back even more years. But nobody's talking about security then, right? Yeah, exactly. So would I call myself an expert? Well, first of all, we never called it IT. We controlled inside the NERCSIP electric today inside the security perimeter, right? Our networks were the deterministic networks. Again, deterministic safety critical control. That's my whole background, right? They were the networks, the switches, and the communication that remained within the system from an I.O. module, be it analog, be it a FFT calculator, be it a digital signal, and how that comes into the controller for real-time decisions. So, yes, when we think of networks like that. But um, my ex, you know, my knowledge base, my responsibility, my expertise wasn't really about the, the larger, you know, networking we see today and how that technology is developed. 
I'm a, I'm of course current with it, but it wasn't in my uh, my upbringing, if you will. Yeah, yeah. And so when you're looking at that stack of PowerPoint slides, do you remember uh, what some of your initial thoughts were as you were flipping through it and reviewing it? Well, I had already, as the leader of a very large team, you know, dabbled in customer questions coming in. There was always somebody else working on it. And I, you know, there were there were smart people and stuff. So there's always a little bit of the, there, there's two, right? There's the emotional technical and there's the emotional my job, right? I'd, I'd been leading large teams for 15 years. And this was a, this was a technologist role, um, you know, very respected. A chief engineer at our company is very respected, but it was still, it was like, am I going to have to keep myself busy all day, every day? <laughs> I mean, that was only the first 10 minutes, but <laughs> what, will, what will it be like coming to work in the morning where I don't have 10 problems I didn't expect the night before? <laughs> yeah, well, I mean, now, you know, all, all these cybersecurity issues, you know, in, in this realm we're talking about, they're all solved, right? So you're probably bored and looking for something else to do? No, but it's technical. It's not and I don't want this to sound like I didn't love every minute of people, leadership, large teams yeah. dealing with effectively moving the ship. But, you know, you, you, you don't turn that off in a day and just start studying technical documents all day. You know what yeah, I mean? Yeah, for sure. It didn't take me a year, but it was more than a day. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> there's no, I mean, my, my joke was more that there's no end in sight in what we need to do here, right? I mean, there's right. progress being made. You and I have talked about this. It's a, it's some sort of ruler and there's people are like, Oh, nothing's being done. Uh, and uh, you know, and then there's people like, you know, we've, we, we've, we've solved it, you know, especially some service providers. It's somewhere in the middle. We're on a journey. Right. And we're never really going to arrive at a destination where all these networks are secure. We're done, but we are moving through it. And it's been historically very immature. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. You know, I get so much more in, in you know, joking about my time allocation. Now I talk to customers, now I, you know, I can listen to problems that are are more of a collaborative nature as opposed to you sold me something that doesn't work, <laughs> you know. The yeah. joke about the joke about controls is is you know the is always not joke it's a fact and there's some some words that go around it but you know a turbine installation is two to three years everything in that installation can like bump a little left bump a little right brought the wrong welding rod drilled the hole in the concrete in the wrong spot. Pipes aren't where they're supposed to be. We forgot a wire. But that all comes to a head when the bank, the financier, the insurance company, the power plant operator, the architect engineer are all standing there for that first fire day. You know. So what's been happening for the last three years? I don't know. This button's going to tell us. That's where controls comes in these long cycle things. So that, that's been a, just a, a key learning that I think has really helped me in my career today with cyber, right? You're not always the priority. Yeah, yeah. You know, I... I guess it's a great segue to a story I wanted to share. I I I um I sat in a room with a bunch of experts years ago, and a uh, an industry uh, leader stood up there and talked about large industrial equipment and this huge amount of data around how they operate and this sort of data lake of all this machinery uh, performance and that that what was coming was data going out from the machines and being you know processed and all this knowledge and then good data going back and the machines being attenuated and how many millions of dollars were at stake uh and that that was what was you know what was coming and after the break or you know after the person finished talking we went to the water cooler and there were some hard uh hard charging cybersecurity, you know really smart cybersecurity guys like that's crazy basically the you know security 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 and they missed the whole point, which is here's how much money is at stake by being able to attenuate these 
large industrial pieces of equipment, you know, it's going to happen. So let's not spend any more time on not doing this, but how we're going to do it. And I have told this story a number of times without disclosing the company or the speaker, but it was very, very uh, meaningful moment for me. And I, I've actually told that dozens of times as there we go. It's like hardcore security practitioners missing the point of it, which is the ship has sailed. We're going to be doing these things and we need to talk about how to do them the best way we possibly can, but not not doing them. Oh, absolutely, Derek. That's such a such a thread for me. Risk in a power plant is not binary. Start there. Right. Um, you may have cracks in, in, you know, that are propagating through the rotor. You may have oil that's past its life, you know, lube oil. Just a power plant operator deals with risk in the better. And I, I frankly, I think that's one of the things that's helped me in this role more than my networking background is to be able to describe risk in a way that layers into the equation. And, and I'm a cyber professional, so I always think my risk is the greatest. But you can't start the discussion with that, right? Yeah. You can't yeah. start the discussion with that. The, the power plant operator's only got one job: burn fuel and make electricity when he's at, when he or she is asked. That's the only job, right? And that's still going to it's going to stay the number one priority, right? It needs to be supported by these other priorities, of which this one that we're passionate about matters. But yeah, the, the mission, and it's really of making a product or making money or whatever. Those those still are their number one. Exactly. And then they have all the flies buzzing around them, right? They have regulations, they have audits, they have compliance to their corporation. But a good leader is making judgment calls on all that information. And and if you come in with 30 PowerPoint slides and say that uh, you're going to be audited in six months and you may have a $2 million fine, drop everything you're doing and work with me. You know, the, you know, it's it just you just get dished off to somebody else, right? Well, you know, the two million dollar fine may be worth it if I run through the hot spell this summer. And of course, that's a little anecdotal um, in my example, but it's a very true feeling of what those discussions are like. I think you just dropped one of the gold nuggets. Every one of these sessions has a few, and that's one of them. And that's a big one when thinking about about the maturity, uh, average maturity of our of our leaders in this segment of the industry. And if they haven't matured to the point where they think in terms of business case and risk mitigation and what the how the company makes money, th- this is the key is understanding what you just talked about. And that's got to be part of these discussions and part of your presentations. Uh, I think that's breakthrough. You know, that that's in really, really key advice for anybody, especially that started to talk to other senior people or senior to them or boards of directors or CIOs and making presentations is fundamentally understanding what you just said. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, thank you. Um, it, it's, it's a mission and it's a journey, not an event, but I, I continue to keep that as kind of my focal point, especially in working with customers. Yeah. Did you not recognize my, my story, who the speaker was? Yeah. No, I, 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 I could guess the speaker and the company. <laughs> And what what is what is good to share? What you described is called monitoring and diagnostics. That's no secret in the industry. And in what you also didn't touch on, but this is again part of this, right? Monitoring diagnostics is two things: it's physics and it's data. You talked about the terabytes of data, right? There's terabytes of data, but then there's a whole team that you know there's there's millions of human hours that go into designing this equipment because you know a gas turbine is an airplane engine, right? So there's millions of hours that go into that. So if you've got a crack propagation, a wear pattern, a vibration signature, it's two things. It's physics, what's causing it, and it's operational data from the fleet. Have we ever seen this before? 
that's the nexus of reliability in, in heavy industrial equipment, whether it's you know a gas pipeline or anything. And then you if if you if you hit it right, you weave security into that. So it just becomes part of the discussion, not last on the agenda or oh we gotta call the cyber guys. I forgot that we didn't invite him to the meeting, right? Yeah. 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 Uh, let's segue to a couple themes I always bring up. What's been the role? Uh, I mean, you know, what would you talk about teams? You, you already did mention this, you know, managing uh, large groups of people. What would you talk about team formation and team management and team building and the importance of team in this mission area? I have a, um, I have a really cool opportunity. I told you how it started. Um, but then a number of years ago, got a strong alignment with our IT organization here at GE too. And, and kind of, you know, not not to downplay it to this audience, but you know, IT is used to doing something every day, right? You know, every day they're doing something. They're at the front line every day. Whereas, you know, core product security at a power plant level, you're kind of laying in wait and preparing. And and I'm lucky to, you know, know some really talented people on both sides, IT being much newer to me, especially from like response and patching and stuff like that, have been, you know, just key elements of of you know, telling the story and weaving it together. I think this this is it was years ago, but I used to say, you know, IT has a thousand times a year to try something and hope it works. You know, we in OT have four. <laughs> I think our four is up a little bit, but you know, there used to be about four things that you know became a big deal that we'd go after. Oh man, I, that's that's that is a great juxtaposition, right? I mean, there's there's so much value to bring be brought by both parties but they do need to recognize that each one is coming from a, sort of a different background perspective and has some different restraints constraints on on them and uh and, and working philosophies it's that's it, that's it right there it's sort of an you know at least one aspect of it in, in a nutshell uh are you seeing progress made in your own uh you know recent years of exposure and cr sort of cross-functional teams working together the people that coming from these different disciplines and backgrounds and perspectives working better together i would say and you know this may be optimistic and people are going to listen to know me well i don't feel friction i feel lack of exposure to the business function and one of the things i've done which has been tremendously valuable personally to me is the people I've met that have the traditional IT functions. I just have one line, come hang around with me, you're gonna get closer to the customer, right? And, you know, I can expose them to CISA. I can expose them to, you know, when one of these things comes from CISA, it's different than Patch Tuesday with Microsoft. And again, no offense to anybody here, but, you know, Microsoft gives you a list every Tuesday. You get something from CISA and you were planning on going home, you better slow down and read it, you know? <laughs> <laughs> you know, and it's just been, I, it's been tremendously rewarding to me to bring bring anybody on that journey, that journey that's remotely interested, and uh, those that aren't sure, I bring them along anyway. Yeah, well, I think you're making my point because I know you've also shared how much you've learned from some of them about some of their disciplines, and so it's 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 the more people doing what you're discussing, which is like, hey, come over here and learn learn, you know, let me share some perspective in my realm while at the same time respecting that they've got some stuff you can learn. I think that's the way forward, right? I mean, we we've come together. Yeah, and the, the thing that has really balanced me, you're right, I, I wanted, my intent was to share balance, was process rigor. Not to say we don't have process rigor in engineering, but we don't have the crystal clear evidence ready for audit, ready for demonstration, ready for proof, right? I'm very proud of our engineering rigor, designing turbines and wheels and buckets and, and how we go through the review structure. 
But in the IT organization, you're you're ready to produce evidence in a very short period of time. And that evidence is consumed in a different way. Not a better way, not a worse way, but you know, having the evidence, whether it's evidence for an auditor internally, whether it's having evidence for an external auditor auditing the company, whether it's having evidence for a customer that's asking for help because they weren't ready. And and I've really I would say before I, you know, took this role, I didn't I thought of evidence like compliance important, but, you know, file it away. And, and that's not at all what my life is like today. Yeah. Interesting reflection. Any career, any, any challenges in this career path that you sort of been uh, sharing with us and how you how you overcame them? There's a lot of challenges. And I, I want to be concise on this, you know, maintaining talent, making them feel like they're a part of what's going on. You know, I know my team's going to listen to this. They're going to, you know, reflect on what I said and what I didn't do. But, you know, I think it's always the people, you know, yeah. it's always the people. And, and how do you keep them invigorated? You know, they still have a they still have a job. We still have deliverables. I, I find a lot of people that are incredibly good at cyber, incredibly good at networks and computers, but getting them to write something down or adapt a process or do it twice in a row the same way is is challenging. So how do you how do you pull in all that intellect and not make it an administrative process because you want somebody else to know what they're doing? You know, I've, I've run into that probably as many times as, as the others, you know. Sure. Uh, that, I, think at, I, I call it let me at the keyboard. <laughs> I think what you've described is something that's, that's in a lot of places, you know, in my own observation, in my own experience, but also talking to other people like you. I think that's that's not on, not uncommon. And, yeah, the, the most brilliant, sometimes the most brilliant technical minds are, you know, not they don't want any documentation or communication, you know, and, and, and but they might be very, very good at, at some of the things they do. Clearly, some of the uh, some some of the brightest minds, you know, and that's always the thing. How do you build, you know, build the teams out and, and grow individuals that can cover all the bases? And I sort of, yeah, I, I can think of very specific experiences in my own my own journey that's where that resonates with. Um, yeah, and just just for a moment, I, it, I think it's even more apparent to me in cyber because if you, you know, give me to the keyboard. You know, as I described the other parts of my career, it's always been about a long-term thing. Even if you're super technically deep and, you know, have advanced degrees and heat transfer or metallurgy and stuff, the pace of what you're doing is controlled by the by the equipment and the stuff you're working on. With cyber, you know, smart smart person at keyboard, wait a minute, and they grab the keyboard. I think I can fix that. <laughs> they type really fast and you know and then then it's gone the evidence is gone yeah. open it's fixed <laughs> what just happened yeah i was a little intimidated by that for the first maybe couple months but i got over it yeah uh, let, let's talk about um you know we, we, it's sort of the, it, i think it's a segue from this you know team development personal development staff and teams and all these sorts of things is mentorship i always i like to ask you know what role that's played giving and receiving mentorship in your own career journey we've had a number of um, giving first. Um, as a chief engineer, you know, my job descriptions, skip cyber, chief engineers of position within engineering are, you know, mentoring, risk reduction, and custodian of the technology. We generally, you know, we, we don't write those down. We don't have PowerPoint slides, but you generally approach everything that way, right? You're not doing any good if you, if you hold design reviews and, you know, ridicule earlier career people that are trying to learn how to communicate their work and stuff they're doing, whatever it is, right? So I think that part's natural. 
in, in a part I really enjoy. Um, we have a number of tools around it that, you know, encourage, especially in this um, remote work environment that, you know, everybody's in some form where, you know, somebody you've never met doesn't have to send you a cold email saying, I'd like to be a mentor. I'd like you to mentor me. You have some tools where you do some matching stuff. Actually, we just released one called, um, I don't know, it's okay if I talk about other companies and stuff, but it's called Thousand Cups, Thousand Cups of Coffee or something. And, yeah. uh, you know, it matches up profiles. It's got a little little uh, machine engine in it. And uh, we just started it two weeks ago, but I already got a couple, couple of hits that kind of matched my profile. It makes it easier for people to approach me because, you know, I have an office. Sometimes it's that simple. I have an office. Other people sit in cubes, you know. So that's the mentoring part. As far as getting mentorship, I don't know if it's ever been called that, but there, you know, there are people in my career that have guided it, saved it, and, uh, you know, and directed it. <laughs> but they're yeah. usually the ones, to me, they're usually the ones that, you know, over the last 10 years, you know, when something comes up, even if I haven't talked to them in four to six months or they retired two years ago, I can I can get what I need in a five-minute conversation, you know. I think you've, you've sort of implied it, but I, I'm going to ask it. it. My experience and what I've encouraged people to, you know, to, to um, get over is that, you know, not asking. My experience is ask. You'd be surprised how many people will give advice. And, and you, you sort of, I think you did say, you know, mentorship comes in all sorts of things. There's capital M, we meet once a week, formal, okay. Putting that aside, getting advice or saying, hey, can I talk to you about this? And, you know, that's, in our community, I, I find many people are open to that. You just have to ask. Yeah, yeah. And the key is, a, I agree completely. And the key is a, an engineering leader who's, you know, been here longer than some of the other ones you're going to talk to. You want to create, a sense of confidence in your presenter that they will simply tell you know they will share with you the greatest risk this is something we all, all everybody's over you know throughout time we've all worked at right you don't pass the chief engineer review because you didn't bring up a risk that the chief engineer missed right the way to pass the chief engineer review is say i've done this i've done this i've done this i'm following the you know the scorecards i've had some challenges here i've worked on it the thing that really scares me when you can get somebody that's, you know, a skip generation away from you organizationally, age or profession, you've really hit it, you know? And and I remember those days when I go home. It's like there's a person I really hadn't talked to that much came in and described their greatest risk in a way that we could do something about it. Oh yeah. That's awesome. And that's a great segue. You know, what what most excites you about what you're what you're doing? I mean, maybe something like that. You know, but uh, I know there's other things that you are an enthusiast, as we talked about, about what are you most excited about today? Well, I, I'll, I'll preface it with I've spent my life in a long cycle business. Right. And, uh, you know, I don't have any analogies to moving ships and stuff like that. But, you know, we don't we don't whip the steering wheel here. Right. It's moving something and seeing it sustain through process, adoption and people, you know traditionally have four or five of those going at a time and you know when i can get one of them to stick and inside product cyber has been such a rich area for that that's why the, this this job has resonated with me so much you know most things i'm doing are new yeah. <laughs> right? yeah. you know most things i'm doing are new need to be described they can't be trivial they can't look like filling out sheets for compliance in case a customer calls two years from now i mean those those things don't get prioritized nobody wants to work on them right but they need to be done. So how do you steer the ship? How do you sustain and, and make sure that people are fulfilled and you know get their hands on the good stuff? Well, that's also a nice leap to another question I like to ask is sort of, 
you know, we have a quotient of our of our 25,000 community members are entry level or looking to enter our space. And, they, and, and it's a similar question, but it's all the same. It's getting to the same point. What exciting area could I start to read, study, become knowledgeable in that would make me indispensable and super valuable, you know, it, it, you know, five years from now or three years from now? And so when you talk about things that you're excited about and, uh, and and things that are emerging and looking ahead, do any of those, does anything pop to mind as what you would tell someone if you were sitting down with them and saying, well, you might want to study this. This will be, this will be big. Well, the times when I think about this quite a bit, but, um, you know, the easy thing to say, and let me expand on it, become a domain expert in something. Cyber is going to be everywhere, right? We've all seen that, you know, the... The APT or the APTs have organizational structures, right? I've always wanted to be a HR manager. Okay, well then go be an HR manager for the APT. They got a role for you, right? Of course, I'm joking when I say that, but stick to your domain and and make sure you're exploring and understanding how cyber's growing in your space, right? That that would be it's not easy, but that would be my start to the discussion, you know. And I have um two young women daughters and a and a younger son, and, you know, I practice that one around the table. Not even about cyber, but just, you know, you know, the if we touch on my, uh, touch on my sporting interest, right, race your strengths, train your weaknesses. If you just, if you got, if you got no background in cyber, and, you know, just start taking online classes all night, and, you know, running yourself ragged while you're, you know, working down the street in a job you don't like, I don't know, I don't, I don't think that gets you there as well as exploring, understanding your domain, and starting to see where cyber is going to play a role in that because then you're the expert right just like i'm describing myself as an expert in industrial control systems for ge gas turbines i mean it sounds big and exciting but that's pretty niche <laughs> right you're, you're you're getting right down to the point of the pencil right well, but to your yeah. point then if you lined up all those niches those domains that's a i mean today in our modern we've connected everything or are rapidly connecting everything society there's a lot of domains and so you can be in cybersecurity in in so many different ways today that you couldn't have 5, 10, 15, 20 years ago. That wasn't possible. But today and tomorrow, you can. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And the only second one I have, and I've always kind of I always kind of hold on to this, find something you can do that is somewhat administrative where you grow your talents touching customer stuff. I've got two two balanced ones here. One I'm an expert in, one I don't know that much about, just for illustration. One is, you know, you're supporting customers in some technical way that involves you to either get out to power plants, get out to gas delivery stations, something critical infrastructure, right? You can look at the CISA list, right? Um, you're, you're doing something in, in transportation, right? You grow that domain and you can feel pretty confident that the cyberspace is going to grow around you, right? And then one day, just like my story, it might not be as that lucky. Somebody's going to say, you know a lot about this. I notice you're dabbling in, you know, classes in cyber, you know more about networks, right? That's the one I'm very comfortable describing. But the other one, you know, and I get to work with a lot of people, consider being a, a auditor for a bank auditor for IT, right? Very checklist driven, very clear starting points and guidance, maybe being a SOX auditor for a, a big consulting firm, right? Something that's very process driven, that's very in demand. You know, it might not be exciting after two years, but when you can go into an interview and say, I have talked to customers, I understand the space, that lets you expand. And people, you know, frankly, 
hiring companies take a chance on you where you'd ex expand into cyber. I think you just dropped another one of the one of the gold nuggets uh, in, in the session. This idea for all of us, you know, in business, no matter what we are, and we're talking about cybersecurity people, but, you know, get closer to the customer. And you've, you've talked about this a couple of different times today. I think there's something really, really important there. And there are a lot of brilliant cybersecurity people that are pretty far from the customer or brilliant engineers in a plant that are maybe distant from the customer, although they, they may understand I got to, you know, power, I got to make power, you know, and they know why they know who's using it. But, but for any of us, regardless of what, what we're doing, if we really understand the, the, you know, the customer and then our context, in this case, we're talking about cybersecurity, be a, a, an informed, a customer informed context for that cybersecurity is huge. You'll, you'll have a world to pick from. Yeah. Yeah. You'll have a big. world to pick from. That's including, um, you know, and this is public information, I have no problem saying this, including CISA. I mean, if you looked at the push in the last year and a half from Jen Easterly and in, in the recruitment and the values and what's important to her, she spoke at every conference. I mean, I, I, I'm not, I, I'm not um, stealing her story, but there's a lot of elements that she tells very eloquently that, that, that pull the story together. Yeah, for sure. For sure. Well, um, so we're nearing sort of the end of our time together today, and sort of there's a few things that sort of I like to ask. And one of them is, if you go back and you talk to uh, Rob Gary, you know, 30 years ago, what advice uh, do you give him? Stick with your passion. Make sure that your passion aligns with your technical capabilities, and there'll always be need for people with technical depth in this world. I ventured away from that a few times and I always came back to it. If you have technical depth, you can you can bounce around a lot with mistakes. When you make deep technical mistakes, it's hard to bounce around. If you are up for it, I always like to end these interviews with uh, the Pivot questionnaire, which I have borrowed from a television show inside the actor studio, which they borrowed from a French uh, show, hence the name of the questionnaire. And so I think it's it's many decades, longer than you've been at GE, this, this same 10 <laughs> questions have been asked uh, of, uh, of many famous actors uh, as far as the Inside the Actor Studio show goes. So I love to end the show with the same 10 questions that somebody's up for. I'm in. All right. What is your favorite word? Um, bicycle. What is your least favorite word? Failure. And what turns you on creatively, spiritually, or emotionally? Exercise. What turns you off? Um, laziness. What is your favorite curse word? Shithead. What sound or noise do you love? Swimming pool pump. I just love the idea that the water is quietly circulating out there without me. <laughs> what sound or noise do you hate? Um, it, it, this is classic, but fingernails scratching, that, that eerie sounds that make my back wrinkle. <laughs> At what profession, other than your own, would you like to attempt? Snowcat driver in a major ski area out west. I don't think I want to work all night every night, but driving those large snowcats up and down a 10,000-foot peak, A, the power and excitement of driving it with the headlights on and the snow when it's 10 below zero, and B, knowing that when people come out the next morning at 9 o'clock, you have given them perfection. What profession would you like to not do? Parking lot attendant. 
I've always thought about how boring it would be to sit in one of those little booths, even if I, I use that analogy with my wife sometimes. We want to go be a parking lot attendant. I think I'd be restless. <laughs> and if heaven exists, what would you like to hear God say when you arrive at the pearly gates? Your dogs preceded you. They're all still here. All right. Thank you, Rob Gary, uh, Executive Chief Engineer, VP of Product Security, G Gas Power, friend to the industry. Thank you for everything you, you're doing. It's important work. It's it's mission-oriented work uh, that we all in society uh, benefit from. Thank you for supporting CSA and being on our global advisory board and being uh, uh, just a, a, a good guy to know. Thank you. Take care. Be well. Thank you. Thank you.